pursuing the truth, living in love. Veritas is a grassroots network of Catholic young adults growing together in Christ. For more information or to see a schedule of Veritas events, visit catholicveritas.com. That's catholic, V-E-R-I-T-A-S dot com. On today's podcast, we are featuring a Monk's Cellar event with Sister Elizabeth Marie of the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia of Nashville, Tennessee. She holds degrees in philosophy and Catholic studies from the University of St. Thomas and has taught various grades throughout the country. She is currently assigned to assist in the vocation office of her congregation. In this episode, Sister Elizabeth Marie addresses why all too often we are afraid of healing, of mercy, and of God. Like Adam in the garden, we hide in fear. Easter is the time to come out of hiding. The resurrection of Jesus, above all, offers assurance that before God, we need not be afraid. Let's tune in. Before I introduce the speaker, uh, or speakers, actually Naomi is going to introduce our speakers, and really this was completely her, uh, this is completely her doing. Uh, she did the legwork to get these beautiful sisters out here, she got it paid for, and so um, before you give a great round of applause to our speakers, please give a great round of applause to Naomi and you. Thank you, thank you very much. Oh my. And for all y'all who don't know me, my name is Naomi Ensley. I split my time between St. John the Baptist in Folsom and St. Stephen's down in Sacramento. And just to give a little bit of a further appreciation to the fact that the sisters are here today, uh, the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia, this night has been in the works like for over a year. And on top of that, the sisters are here not only on Divine Mercy Sunday weekend, but also today is the solemnity of the Annunciation. And... I just celebrated my fifth uh, birthday anniversary, whatever you want to call it, of becoming Catholic. So I'm just trying to figure this is like Jesus' like anniversary present to me is really present to all of you that we all get to partake in, which is super exciting. And tonight we get to welcome two, not one, but two sisters. And the one that is going to be speaking to you this evening hails from none other than Wisconsin. So, you know, go cheese heads for those who are our fans. And then this sister, she has become a dear friend to me. Um, you know, we only briefly met and met once before, but we've become really close friends this weekend. And she is currently assigned to the sister's mother house, serving in their vocations office, which affords her the opportunity to travel around and really just share the gospel and share God's love with anyone that she's being sent to serve, like speak to and serve. Like you know, the entire like hashtag foul obedience. Uh, it's really beautiful to see it lived in action. And before this assignment, sister, I had the privilege of serving in sister's school missions for about nine years. So without further ado, please give a warm welcome to my friend, Sister Elizabeth Marie. It's a blast, and I love California, and so I really love you back. So thank you for coming out tonight and being here on this glorious feast day and following up on eight glorious days of the destructive. So let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that you see us, that you love us. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to suffer and die and rise from the dead for us. And we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit more deeply into each of our hearts right now, into the hearts of all those who are in this building tonight. That we would, in a new way, be surprised by your love for us. And we ask Mary, our mother, to pray for us and for us as we say, Hail Mary, Holy Spirit. Open the gates of victory, I will enter and thank the Lord. 
This is the Lord's own gate where the victors enter. I thank you for you answered me. You have been my savior. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. So you probably, that, that last part is very familiar from the Easter season. This is the day the Lord has made. And so that's kind of what I want to start with is what is that day that the Lord has made? And it's kind of a, an interesting concept, the Lord has made this day. What is that day? So this is a song of victory, as you can tell. So what can mortals do against me? Of whom should I be afraid? There's nothing that I should be afraid of. But then thinking about the context of these songs written in the Old Testament, and so we can think about a couple of moments that uh, the people of Israel may have considered the day the Lord has made. So for example, in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites are led out of slavery and into the promised land. So that would have been a day the Lord has made. There's nothing they could have done to free themselves from slavery. So that day of freedom, of liberation, uh, of freedom from the fear of their captors would have been a day the Lord has made. Would have been a moment of victory. But, but of course, that victory is sort of tarnished and incomplete because as we learn with the people of Israel, like, like many of us, they're given this freedom, but then they, they abuse it. So the victory the Lord has given them, this freedom, doesn't actually transcend um, their sin. It doesn't actually heal them from within. Right? That was, it's always the Lord's goal to, to transform the, the spirits, the hearts of his people, you know, that they would have circumcised hearts. But, but they resist, right? They fall into idolatry, they complain against Moses, they get into the promised land, they don't trust that God will give them the victory. So there's something sort of incomplete about this day that the Lord has made. And then we can think about, you know, years later when David is leading the people of Israel and they go into all these battles against the pagan tribes. And the Lord gives them the victory again and again. You know, when David goes up against Goliath before he's even king, the Lord gives the victory. So that victory that the Lord gave them is the day the Lord made. When they possessed Jerusalem, for example. But even there, we see it's not really a complete victory. David himself often falls into sin, and then his son Solomon even more. And the whole nation of Israel kind of falls apart, is cast into exile. So this victory that the Lord has made um, wasn't complete, not because the Lord was lacking, but because the full remedy for our fear and our slavery had not yet been provided. So this, all these little victories are you know, an anticipation of the great victory, the great day the Lord has made. And today we get to celebrate you know, one of those days the Lord has made, which is the Annunciation of the Lord, which is good to remember, although we love our Lady, this is actually a feast of the Lord. 
So today we're celebrating the incarnation. So Christmas, you know, is more the manifestation of the Lord to, to the world. But this is the day we celebrate the moment, the very moment when the king of the universe, the God who has always been and always will be, entered time and became man. So this literally is, you know, a day that the Lord made because God had not been in time before this time. God had been completely other. I mean, he still is completely other. But then in his great mercy, he becomes among us. So I just want to read a short excerpt from that gospel of Luke that probably a lot of us heard today at Mass. So the angel Gabriel speaking God's word to Mary. And he says, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So I'm going to focus on those words, do not be afraid. And as we saw, like, all these days of the Lord, these victories of the Lord, the point was to free the people from their fear. So they could say, what can mortals do against me? And what's interesting is, you know, all through the, the people of Israel, their journey, they get afraid. Oh, what about this nation this nation? Like, they're giants. They're, they're way more powerful than us. And then they gave in to using human effort instead of trusting the Lord. And so what's interesting is Mary, you know, a daughter of Israel, the angel Gabriel says to her, do not be afraid. So this, this message is part of the day the Lord has made. Do not be afraid. And we can think about, well, what did Mary have to be afraid of in that moment? Why would the angel Gabriel have said, do not be afraid? So we don't know what Mary was feeling or why. We don't even know what she knew at that moment. Um, sometimes we can think of Mary as being omniscient, but we know she wasn't that because of God is omniscient. So she didn't know everything. And as far as the Bible tells us, she really didn't know what was going to happen. But so many things. She was going to appear to her, ask her to be the mother God, which was a concept she wouldn't have even had any reference point to understand, that God would become human. So, you know, she probably would have been afraid. You know, what does this mean? How is this possible? Why are you asking me? What about Joseph? What about my future? What about the life that I had planned? Because of course she had plans, because we all living in time, being human, we make plans. So, so all of those fears, and also I think the fear of God coming that close, the fear of the awesome majesty of God coming that close and asking that much and expecting so much greatness from her. So sometimes we can be afraid of God coming that close. We can be afraid of God asking that much. And so we can draw back. So that the angel was saying, no, 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 don't, don't draw back. Do not be afraid, Mary. 
Um, there's a great sermon um, that we read during Advent by St. Bernard, um, and, and he kind of enters into this angel's plea, do not be afraid. And he's like, the whole world is waiting, Mary. Answer! And, and he goes through, like, tearful, tearful Adam is waiting. So he goes through, like, Abraham, your father, is waiting. So all these Israelites who had experienced these great days of the Lord, these great victories, they were still waiting. They were still waiting to be set free. They were still waiting for their hearts to be changed, waiting for God to come back close. And, and so Mary says, yes. So this is the beginning of the great day of the Lord, the great victory the Lord wins. Because, because now the distance that was created between God and man is dissolved. So that distance that happened in the fall, right, so... Not only was the human person alienated from God, but also the whole universe okay, participated in that fall. Which is why we say that like, the, the natural world and the human race became a God after the fall. Um, because the impact of the human race's sin is it flows out to all of creation. Why would that be? Well, because, this is so exciting, guys. So the human person sums up all of creation in our body and soul. So if you think about, and some of this, I'm not a scientist, okay, but um, one of our sisters, Sister Albertine, I think she's from California, I'm pretty sure. So she went to Caltech and majored in astrophysics before she entered. And... So she was telling me on St. Albert's feast day, who's her patron and a great Dominican scientist, she was talking about um, the elements that make up the human body and how those elements, like hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, um, I guess I can go, okay? But <laughs> those elements come from the death of stars and from, now this is of course, you know, Science is always developing, but we think from the death of stars and from the Big Bang. So, probably billions of years ago, a star died, and when it died, it produced all of these elements that are the building blocks of life. And so, not only human life, but all life, along with some elements from the, the Big Bang you know, earlier. So, that means that literally the stars that we we have the elements that come from stars in our very bodies. Like the atoms that make up our bodies come from stars in the Big Bang. So, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, there may have been the star that, you know, of which you are physically made. And so we have, we have inorganic material, inorganic matter in the human person. And then, obviously, organic. You've got you know, blood, so all the sort of properties that plants have. This is like nerdy philosophy stuff, but Thomas Aquinas talks about in the different kinds of different um, layers of being, the hierarchy of beings, and we have the inorganic, the organic. We also have animal properties, right? Like we can feel, the animals have those kind of senses. And then, of course, in our souls, we have rational capacity, which makes us like the angels. And so, in one creature, God is summing up the entire universe, which is why our sin was such a big deal. 
Because with our sin, we, we create this chasm between what God made um, and, and Him, the, the Creator. So the, this is like the incarnation. God is actually taking back the entire universe through one human nature that he assumes in the incarnation. So that not only is he taking on, okay, I'm going to save the human race, but in that saving of the human race, he is redeeming, reclaiming, um, buying back and robbing from, so there's this line from Good Friday, spoiling the spoiler of his prey. So he's taking from the devil what the devil stole, and he's like, uh-uh. This whole universe belongs to me. So he's taking it back. Uh, whereas my students in Alabama would say he's finessing the finesser. Um, so he's, he's taking it back. And, and that happens in the moment of the incarnation. So that's the day the Lord makes. That the Lord is taking back the universe in the person of Christ. Because in Christ, the whole universe is again wed to God. In, in one person who is the Son. Um, but we might be wondering, well, how does that actually affect us, right? Because Mary said, yes, God is wed to the human race and to the entire universe again. But then all the rest of us are still, we still don't have access to that redeemed humanity. And, and, that, and then we get to you know, the further development of this great day, which is the Paschal Mystery which we've been celebrating this past week, that um, this purified and perfectly ordered human nature that was joined to the divine in Jesus is actually broken open on the cross. So when I teach my students, I, I, you know, I draw pictures and everything on the board and I talk about, so there's this perfect human nature, but, but we don't have access to it. So on the cross, he is broken open, blood and water flows from his side, and, and he, he dies. He, he takes on the greatest fear that we could ever have, right, which is the fear of death. He takes it on so that when we look at the cross, every suffering that we can imagine, every fear, is embraced by the God man. So in our very human nature, he's taking it on. He's taking on death. And then in the resurrection, he's conquering death. And then the ascension, which is actually really tied, tied together with the resurrection, and in the ascension, he's taking this, this human nature, which has suffered death for us, risen from the dead, and now reigns the right hand of God the Father. So our redeemed humanity is with God the Father. Now, so Christ the head you know, goes before us, not only into Galilee, but into the homeland of heaven. And there's a, there's a word for this great day, which is the eighth day. So I don't know if you've heard that expression before. It's kind of confusing. Okay? But when Christ rose from the dead, you could say it was the first day of the week, and you could also say it was the eighth day. So, which doesn't make sense if there's seven days in the week. So God, in Christ, made a new day. He created a new day, the eighth day. And what I want to reflect on a little bit is, is what that means, and, and why would God do that? 
why would God make a new day, make an eighth day to the week? Which is my segue to a little musical interlude. Um, so somebody, I don't have a cell phone, someone's going to name me my friend here. Listen to the words, okay? should not be stuck in this seven-day cycle. That love should be able to break out of that and create a new day, the eighth day. And, and that's what Jesus is doing. So in even, you know, those words, like, love me, hold me, lead me like I need you. So this is the great humbling of the Annunciation, that, that God makes himself vulnerable. He makes himself in need. He can say, I thirst from the cross. So he comes actually in pursuit of us. He, he is the great lover coming in pursuit of his bride. And, and he's so eager to be one with us that he breaks open time. 
that he breaks down the gates of hell so that we do not need to fear any mortals. There is nothing that we need to fear. Because the great fear, the fear of death, the fear of running out of time, has been healed. So that whole time thing, running out of time, I think we all experience that, right? Like I don't have enough time to get my work done. Um, I don't have enough time to pray. We might feel that. Um, but also, I don't have enough time to do the things that I love. I don't have enough time to travel to other places where I want to travel. I don't have enough time to be with the people that I love. And the fear of right now, time can actually taint the joy that we take in the good things of this world. Right? So, you love someone, but then you know my time with them is going to come to an end. And that might be, you know, in a very um, immediate sense or approximate sense. So my mom was visiting this past week at the mother house in Nashville from Wisconsin. And so we had these two days to visit. And then I probably won't see her until maybe August, which is, you know, lots of people, that's a, different, you know, a reasonable distance. Um, to not see your family. But still, right, so we have these two days. So there's there's a temptation for this pressure. I've got to pack in all of the good things that we can do together and say together into these two days. And then at a certain point, both of us are tempted to start thinking, okay, uh, mom's going to leave tomorrow. So I've got today left, and then today is going to gradually, you know, winding down. And so then every hour there's this, oh, she's leaving two hours, she's leaving one hour, oh, the next day I'm going to the airport. Um, and it robs you of your joy, right? And this time my mom visited, I had this grace to say, you know, Mom, these are only two days, but we're going to have eternity together, God willing. So the joy that we have in one the love that we share, is never going to end. Because we were made to be immortal. We were made to live now and forever in that eighth day. Um, and so, and maybe you all haven't had that experience of visiting with someone and, and like, just thinking about when it's going to end. Um, but there's even experiences like Christmas, you know, when you're a child and you're looking forward to Christmas. And then it comes and you open your presents and then you're kind of like, hmm. Christmas is over. Christmas is gone. And this isn't this the way with all of the things of the world? Like we hold them in our hands and they slip from us. Right? All the good food that you could eat, and you only have the pleasure of that food for a very small amount of time. Just when you think about it. The cheesecake and it's like five minutes and it's gone. Yeah, and as Jesus would say, you know, pass it to the little tree, right? So all of these good things that we have. You know, the joy of marriage. All of those things, they, they pass. Right? They pass quickly. And, and we can never recapture a moment. Um, I was sharing with Naomi and some of the other fun people we met, just this moment, memory I had from college where I was riding on the highway with my friend Jenny, and it was we were in Minnesota. It was really hot. It gets hot there. Um, in the summer. So it was like 90 degrees and really humid and our air, our air conditioning wasn't working. So we rolled down the windows and, and then we're blasting YouTube. Okay? 
the, the band. So, um, in case that's not a reference everybody knows. So, um, <laughs> thank you. This, this, this front table is helping me out here. Thanks. So, the class at U2, and then it starts raining. So, we got the windows open, and it starts raining. So, we're right on the highway, rain pouring in on us, which feels so good it's really hot. You know, vinyl just wailing away. And it was such a great moment. I was just like, oh, it's awesome. But now it's gone. Right. And even if I found Jenny and we're like, let's relive the, you know, the, the YouTube moment, like it, it wouldn't be that moment. First of all, I'd be a sister, would be different, you know, um, 50 years older, anyways. But it's gone, right? But the beautiful thing about the eighth day is that in Christ, in whom the whole universe is summed up, every good thing, every good thing of this world is not lost, right, but has been taken up into eternity. Now, how that actually works out, I don't know, right? but we'll find out. Um, it's taken up into eternity, and even the sad things of this life, the suffering, the death, the pain, is also taken up into eternity, because Christ he took his wounds with him, right? So he is now in heaven. Just repeat, I repeat that. He is now in heaven. He is alive. And he has the wounds in his body. And they're made glorious. So all the sufferings of our life taken up into this new eighth day can be made glorious. Which means that nothing from this world really just passes away. That only seems like it. That is, if we're living, we're living in the eighth day. So how do we live in the eighth day, right? Because we can think that eternity, we're not in it yet. Like we still, we, we go to work on the seven day, days of the week, right? We still have to obey the general norms of time. And we're still subject to the ephemeral nature of things. We still experience that pain and that hurt. Um, but we have been transformed from within. So all of the Israelites who were waiting for the great victory, it's already ours in our baptism. So I don't know if you know this, but often baptismal fonts and baptistries, so in Europe there's sometimes were built separate buildings for baptism, they're called baptistries, and often they were made in an octagonal shape for the eighth day. Because in our baptism, we die with Christ and we rise with Christ, which means that our natures are actually changed to participate in the body of Christ. So it's not only Christ, you know, who lives in the eighth day, but we, members of his body, we are joined to that eternal, perfected life. And so just, just to be grateful, and if you're not baptized, Think about it. <laughs> because, because baptism is the way that, in, that each of us escape from the suffering, or at least we, we escape from the futility of being trapped by time. Okay? Because death and suffering are meaningless if there's not an eighth day. Right? It's just like seven days over and over and over again. There's no escape. You know, it's like a gerbil, running, 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 running. But what Jesus does, does in the resurrection is he said, no, 
You're not disturbed with my treadmill. Like, I'm breaking you out of this place. I'm breaking you out. You no longer belong to the leverages of time. And so everything you do can be transcended, can become transcendent, can become glorious, can become a participation in the eternal joy of heaven. And even our suffering and our pain can participate in that joy. And so I read it to you from the prophet Isaiah. It's my favorite Old Testament verse. It's also read at the Easter Vigil. If you're anywhere, you've read it before. This is from um, chapter 54 of the prophet Isaiah. So he says, O afflicted one, this is God speaking to us, O afflicted one, storm-battered and unconsoled, I lay your pavements in carnelians and your foundations in sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of carbuncles, and all your walls of precious stones. All your sons shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In justice shall you be established, far from the fear of oppression, where destruction cannot come near you. So, if you haven't yet felt afflicted, storm-battered, and unconsoled, you, you will feel that way. Because we all do. So it's good to remember this. Like, oh, afflicted ones, storm-battered, unconsoled. I lay your foundations in carnelians, just like precious, just like precious stones, flowers. Like you who are laying prone on the ground, sobbing unconsolably. Like I've got a really big palace for you, and I'm laying it, laying the foundations in precious stones right now. And that great palace is the eighth day. And that great palace is actually Jesus Himself. Entry into Christ in our baptism is the eighth day. And so, kind of. How do we live this? And then I'll open it up to questions. How do we live this? It's, it's by catching ourselves when we start to think as though this world is all there is. When we start to think as though Christ didn't rise from the dead. Okay? And we start to think that, that death looms and takes away the value of our life. Because Christ conquered death. The best Easter homily I ever heard by a Dominican friar on the East Coast. And he shouted shouted from the pulpit and jumped up and down and he shouted, Death is a loser! Death is a big, fat loser! And I was just like, it's true, right? It's true that death lost. Death lost. And so when I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, I have so much work to do, I can't get it done. Oh my goodness, these friendships that I have, I don't have time. I don't have time to love this person that I want to love them. Well, Christ has broken up in time for us. And all the earth can participate and will one day participate in this great eighth day. So I want to close with a quote from the Exalted, which is the Easter Proclamation. Also from the Easter Vigil, um, when the priest is blessing the candle, Mr. Cannon, he says, All time belongs to you and all the ages. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which is from Hebrews. So, so that is this eighth day, it's him, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. So from the Easter um, vigil, the exalted, which is what the deep band of the priest sings, I won't sing it, um, but it says, this is part of it, it says, Be glad, let earth be glad, as glory floods her. Ablaze with light from her eternal king. 
Let all corners of the earth be glad, knowing an end to gloom and darkness. Alleluia. Thank you all. Um, and then if anybody has questions about the talk or really any theological subject, I'm, I love questions. Um, or about religious life or Dominicans, anything is fine. Or you can ask me, you can talk after also. Did you have a question, Gigi? Um, I was going to, can you touch on the uh, divine mercy? Yes. Can you touch a little bit? Sure. Um, so I'm fortunate to be a little bit prepped for this because... <laughs> which means um, miserable heart. And so a heart or a heart of misery. And um, yesterday, Father Sylvester quoted St. Faustina saying, you know, that the greater our misery, the greater our right to the Lord's mercy. So just thinking practically about that, how, you know, the Lord has this merciful heart for us, but how, again, how do we receive that mercy? And part of that, part of the, the gateway to receive mercy is to face our own misery and to actually feel our broken heart, um, which, which all of us on some level have broken hearts, broken minds, broken bodies, right? Um, and, but we've got, we have a temptation to shield ourselves from the pain of our miserable hearts. Kind of to, to build up walls to protect ourselves from the hurt of our own brokenness or from other people's sins that have been inflicted upon us. And we do that you know, in all kinds of ways. One is by addiction, distracting ourselves from our misery, you know, by overusing technology, uh, by becoming a workaholic, just focus on worldly success, or focusing on what other people think of me. You know, so that the minute there's this little, ooh, what is that? Then, oh, let me just look at my cell phone for a while. There's something on Instagram. Forward, see how my sports team's doing, my fantasy football league's doing, you know. Um, you know Aaron Rodgers is still injured. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> Sister Petra is from Minnesota. She's a Vikings fan. They had a, like, tolerably good season for the first time ever this year. Um, so, I mean, I'll be happy for them, I guess. Um, but... You know, we'll, we'll get it next year. Um, but but we, can, we can shield ourselves from the suffering by distracting ourselves or by rationalizing, right? So the suffering of, at root, I'm pretty much a self-centered person. And everything that happens is an offense to me. And there's, there's moments when you can, God is like wanting to show that to us, and then we get really scared. Oh my gosh. I really am that person that drives me crazy. That's me. Like, I really am the self-centered, self-focused, selfish rat that annoys me. I am that person. And that's a really sad and scary thought. So, but the Lord wants us to go to that place, right? Because then we can say, hey, here, Lord, here's my poor, selfish, self-centered, bad heart. 
this is, this is what I am. This is not all that I am because you will have mercy on me. But instead, when we get that little grace to see that about ourselves, please, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. Well, but, I mean, I've been really tired lately. And, I mean, I've got a really hard assignment. And those sisters over there, they don't have the kind of assignment I have. Like, I'm being asked to do a lot. And so I don't think I should be asked to do that. Or, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Right? You know, which, I mean, I tell my students, like, don't compare yourself to axe murderers. You're like, I've not murdered anybody, you know. I've robbed the bank. Congratulations, honey. <laughs> so those are all ways that we can protect ourselves from our own misery. But the more we protect ourselves, the more walls we build up around our miserable little hearts, we're blocking the one thing that could take away our misery. And Christ, he didn't guard his heart. He didn't guard his heart. He let his heart be pierced so that his heart could heal our hearts. So, so divine mercy, like, let yourself suffer so that Christ can be with you in your sufferings. So offer, we need to offer our little miserable hearts to the merciful heart of the Lord Jesus. Other questions? Oh gosh, okay. And I don't know, I mean, I can be cut off at any point, so. Um, where's John? So yeah, you just let me know when it's like, turn lights off. Um, so my vocation story is just like a, a quick, quick version. So I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, I went to Catholic grade school, public high school, and come from a really, a really good family. Um, but we weren't the most devout. So we went to Mass on Sunday, but um, beyond that, I... I, if I was catechized at Catholic school, I don't remember it. So, um, so, so I, I know it's sad. Um, either my fault or school's, you know, I don't know. But, um, so I was not very well catechized. Um, and I also was really um, feminist, okay? So kind of like an angry feminist. Um, didn't like the Pope, thought the church needed to get the program, change their teachings. And kind of expected that to happen when Pope John Paul II died. Like, I was literally that person that you probably met. That was me. Um, and and I, so I was always fighting against, you know, the Pope and the bishops, very cynical, skeptical. Um, but the one grace um, that I think is why I'm still standing here today is that um, in high school, through a confirmation teacher, I started to pray every day. And... Um, because I was playing piano at Mass, I had to listen to the words at Mass for the first time in my life. So, you know, you have to, if you're playing piano or organ at Mass, you have to know when to come in for the Holy Holy, for example. So I was told, listen for the words, and now with all of the angels and saints. So I'd be like, at the piano, I'm listening, <laughs> listening to every single word, waiting to hear my cue. And so suddenly I was like, wow. There's some like, interesting stuff here. Something's kind of happening here at Mass. Um, and, and then through that, I started to pray at Mass, and I started to realize, oh, Jesus is actually here in the Eucharist. So because of those two things, I didn't leave the church, because I, I loved Jesus, and I believed that he was in the Eucharist. Um, went to college, and spent the first year arguing, especially with seminarians. Um, and... <laughs> 
um, trying to convince them that I was right and they were wrong about the church. Um, and then my, my um, well, one funny thing that happened was a seminarian asked me if I thought about being a sister. To which I responded, no, absolutely not. I never, why would I do that? Like, I'm going to get married. You know, kind of like, why would you even insult me by asking that? Um, but then that thought just wouldn't go away. So it kept coming back. And um, I remember I told my roommate, who didn't have any religion, I said, I have this seminary, I don't want to be a sister, but I don't want to be a sister. And she said, what's the problem? I said, well, I just, I mean, what should I do? She was like, if you don't want to be a sister, don't be a sister. Uh, Which is logical, right? But but something in me was like, uh, I'm quite satisfied. Like, it just seems like I'm supposed to think about this, which is really scary. Um, then my, my sophomore year of college, I went to Rome and studied abroad for a year. So I went to the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. So I went to Rome and was studying philosophy and theology at Dominican University. And so within like the first month of being in Rome, several things kind of came together for my um, making an active faith in God's, God's work in the church. So one was my peers, so just the power of their witness and their kindness to me in the midst of um, me being kind of difficult to be with um, because of my anger and bitterness. And then the beauty and the ancient character of Rome. So just being in this city with the, where, you know, Peter and Paul walked and suffered and died. And then, you know, in St. Peter's Basilica, in Latin are the words, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, you know, looking at those words in, in the Basilica, and just standing there in this place where Peter's bones are, gosh, the church has survived for 2,000 years through all of these, you know, insurmountable obstacles of invasions and attacks and sinful people leading the church. But still here it is. And maybe somewhere in the church there's a wisdom greater than mine. <laughs> so the church, you know, has withstood so much. And then finally I had a Dominican friar um, who's actually just a papal theologian now, um, Father Wojciech Giertek. Um, and so dear to me, he taught me moral theology and showed me that like my little picking and choosing game with the church's teachings just didn't hold. Because he showed me like the truth is one. And that I couldn't just pick out the things that I liked and drop the rest. That that was I was actually gonna violate the truth. It was gonna tear apart the truth. Um, and also just his joy and his witness to the fact that freedom doesn't mean doing whatever you want, but it means like, being set free to run toward Christ, to run toward our one true happiness. Um, so those things came together, and and I just made this act of faith. Okay, Lord, I don't get all the arguments, but I'm going to trust that your, your Holy Spirit is still working in the church. So then I started from that point, and then, and you know, studying theology and philosophy, and gradually coming up with a deeper understanding of the reasons um, for the teachings that I didn't like. Um, but I started from a place of, of faith, which I think is a faith-seeking understanding, which is a huge grace. Um, so then I started praying, started going to confession regularly for the first time in my life. And of course, then that thought of a religious vocation kept coming back, um, especially in adoration. Uh, and I didn't like it. I kind of thought it. I was afraid 
Um, but but it kept coming back, and so I talked to a priest, and he said, you know, well, you should visit convents, think about this, you know, take some action in that direction. He, he said, you know, God can't God can guide a moving car much better than a parked car. So take you know, take some action, which is great advice for life. Make choices. That's what we're you know made to do. Um, and and so I visited our mother house um, the year I came back. I visited our mother house for a retreat. So we went to Nashville, and and just every talk I heard about being a Dominican, that's me. That's me. This is like the way I was made, and this is just normal. I thought I could you know actually fit in. Um, I mean, not that <laughs> we're all very different, but but I felt this sense of, of peace um, that I could be happy in this place. And um, so, wisely, there was no pressure to just take an application right away. So I was told, you know, don't take an application. Your parents who were upset, and your parents will think that you were brainwashed. So go home, go back to college, and see what you think, um, and, and pray about it. So about a month, so I went back to college, and then I was not so sure, because I was all these great friends, and boys, and everything, and... Um, so then I had doubts, so I emailed the priest who was my spiritual director, he was in Rome, and I said, you know, I thought I wanted to enter when I was there, but I'm worried I'm being too hasty. Uh, and he's, he just emailed back very simply, I don't think you're being hasty, and I think you know what your heart is telling you to do. And I just read that email, and I, I think I actually nodded my head. I was like, yeah, I do. And so I opened a Word document, and you know, dear mother was wondering, yeah, I would like to um, apply to enter. So I did, and I entered in 2004, made my final vows in 2011. So thank you. <laughs> All right, so we're good. We're ready to pray, John. We're ready to pray. All right, let's pray it up. You, Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we praise and we thank you for this night to get together as brothers and sisters. Send us your Holy Spirit so we may continue to unlock the mystery of the resurrection and the impact that it has on our lives. Remove the scales from our eyes and help us see the truth that your Son has brought to earth and that we are created for more. Unfold that into our lives and deepen our prayer to make fall more radically, deeply in love with your Son and raise up a mighty generation, especially starting here, to be the saints we were created to be so that we may radiate the joy of the resurrection to a world that needs our witness. Send your Holy Spirit now, guide us wherever we go this night, and set us on fire with the love of this. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. is sponsored by St. Joseph Morello Parish in Granite Bay, California, and St. Mel Parish in Fair Oaks, California. Our podcast features recordings of live talks delivered to young adults packed into the best pub in California, Monk's Cellar. If you're age 18 through 39 and find yourself in the Sacramento area, join us at a live event. Learn more at catholicveritas.com.